Hi, I'm Matt Hall, and you might know me from such works as the audiobook of Matt Janssen's autobiography. But this is the BRFCS Podcast. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the BRFCS Podcast. In this episode we'll be having a look at season ticket pricing and policy. What do we think about the approach that the club has taken? We'll also be considering the use of loan players. Are they a good or a bad thing and in what circumstances should we enter the loan market? In a new feature, we have a new contributor in the guise of Rovers Analytics, Joe Harvey, and he'll be talking about some of the key data that's available these days to analyse football, how it can be used, and how Rovers might benefit from such analysis. To help me, I'll be joined by a panel as we recorded live, and I've also got some contributions from people who couldn't make the recording session, so we'll be hearing from the likes of Bill Arthur, Stuart Grimshaw and Lucy Dewhurst with their predictions also. Welcome everyone to another BRFCS podcast. Tonight we have a packed agenda, we have a knowledgeable panel and we have some predictions as to what's going to be coming in the ensuing season that of course is already underway. So lots of optimism after Saturday. We'll see if that influences our panellists. Let's introduce them with no further ado. Uh, First of all, Holly, welcome to the podcast. Could you tell us please, using five words precisely... What is exciting you most about the coming season? Thanks, Ian. Um, Five words for me is seeing more young talent grow. Marvellous. Thank you very much for that. We have a loan signing for this episode of the podcast. We brought him in from the 1875. Uh, He's he's had previous loan spells with us, but obviously didn't do enough to earn a full-time contract, but we're giving him another go. It's our pleasure to welcome Tom Schofield. Tom, how are you? And can you sum up, please, in five words precisely, what you expect from the coming season? Well, thanks, Ian. Obviously, it's a nice to be back on. And my um, five words will be, Brereton scores more than one. Fantastic. <laughs> I hope you're right. More than one in, in more than one game would be good as well. But we shall see what unfolds. Uh, we have next, Josh Boswell. Josh, welcome to the pod. Uh, five words precisely, please, about what you're excited about in the coming season. Finally, we are going up. We are going up. Are we getting a foretaste of your prediction there, then? We are We are indeed. Uh, good times are coming. See and that's from the negative. Next up is editor of 4,000 Holes. It's a pleasure to welcome him back to the pod. It's Scott Sumner. Scott, you know the drill. Five words, coming season. What's going to excite you? Uh, the youngsters will take over. Interesting. It's, it's a bit of a Hunger Games theme, I think, coming through on that one. <laughs> so should we be concerned or excited? Yeah, excited for that. Yeah, I think it's a good season ahead. I think uh, all the youngsters coming through is, is looking promising. Fantastic. Excellent. Thank you for that. Uh, better known as the Marple Leaf, uh, Michael Taylor is next up. And can we have your five-word excitement prediction for the coming season, please, Michael? Tyrese Dolan, free from Preston. <laughs> Sounds like something would be graffitied on a wall, that I think, probably just outside um, Preston's ground. Linz, I use the phrase stalwart of the pod 
a while ago and you took offense at it and I had to send you the definition of stalwart and you said that's okay. So I'm going to use it again. Stalwart of the pod, champion of the ladies' sponsorship, it's Lynn's Lewis. Lynn's five words. What's going to excite you about this coming season? Dreaming big and falling short. <laughs> very, very good. Very philosophical, that. I think we should get that on BRSCS t-shirts and open up our merchandise line. <laughs> Thank you for that, Linz. And last, but by no means least, we have Louis. Louis, you've contributed to the pod in many ways and passed there. Rarely in character, or rarely in your own character, rather. Rather imitating other people, but it's definitely you I can see on the Zoom call. Five words to excite you in this coming season, please. Uh, well, my five words have got to be JRC and Dak is back. Very good. <laughs> and I should say to people listening to this that um, Louis at the moment actually is is one of the um, asymptomatic COVID sufferers. So not only is he contributing to the party, he's contributing it whilst uh, from his sick bed, but he looks reasonably healthy, I have to say. Uh, we, he passed a late fitness test. So we're hoping that we don't have to do anything uh, untoward during the pod. That's your panel, ladies and gentlemen. And we're going to come back now with a Name That Rover round. So what we're going to do now is a Name That Rover round. I'm going to read out some clues to a Rover's player. Could be past, could be present. And then the panel are going to see if they can guess it after each one of the clues that I've read out. So we're going to start with, I was born on the 14th of April, 1986. I've already got someone who wants to have a guess. Mr. Boswell. Yodi Jokayas. No. Clue number two. I was born in Great Harwood. I think Michael's thumb came up first there, so I'm going to go to Michael first. Matt Derbyshire? Is correct. Fantastic. You've ruined ruined all my other clues. I was hoping that somebody would mix it up for David Dunn, you see, and and plump for Dunny. Scott, you were next. Uh, Who who were you going to guess? Yeah, Dunn didn't even cross my mind, actually. I thought Derbyshire straight away. Very good. Well, the other clues were such things as he attended Our Lady in St. John's RC High School in Blackburn. He joined his boyhood club, Blackburn Rovers, in November 2003 for a £20,000 fee, which was at the time was a club record for Great Harwood. And he scored 10 goals in 63 appearances for Blackburn Rovers. So we'll do another name, that Rover, later on. But what we're going to do now is to get into one of these serious topics. And there's been quite a lot mentioned about this. There's not been quite as many U-turns as the government seemed to have made about what the policy actually is, but we're going to talk about season tickets. And what I'd like to know from our panellists is what do we think about Rover's approach to season tickets and do they have any ideas that they would like to have seen Rover's uh, adopt? So season tickets, are we opening it up and, and giving more fans the chance to come and join? Is the pricing right? Linz, what do you think about Rover's approach to the season tickets? I feel really torn with the whole thing, to be honest, and I think it's a really personal choice for people. So I've renewed um, and I was always intending to renew. My season ticket has gone up 50 quid for a product that I don't think I'll be in a ground this season to get. And I follow pass for lots of games that I won't watch because if I'm not going to the football on a Saturday I don't plan my Saturday around sitting at home watching it I think 
there's been a mixed reaction and I think all of those reactions are fair. Um, I'm not a particular fan of the hashtag. Um, I'm not a particular fan of the way it's been communicated necessarily because I think to suggest we're in it together, we're being asked to do a lot in terms of handing over money in really difficult climates for people. Lots of people have been furloughed. Lots of people have lost their jobs. What increased product are people getting for their money? We are a community. They are a business, but we are a consumer. And I feel really mixed about the whole thing. But having said that, I handed over 400 quid the day they asked me to. So am I a bit of a hypocrite? I, I don't know, but I'd feel really, really mixed about it. I spent a lot of time thinking about whether it was the right thing to do or not. I don't think it's necessarily hypocrisy, is it? I think you can be conflicted. I think my, my immediate reaction was it, it seems a bit odd to be selling a season ticket full stop. So I could understand the club wanting income. I'm a big fan of the Rotherham United scheme, where basically it's almost like a monthly gym membership. Uh, So you pay a low fee, uh, and then you go into ballots for individual games. uh, And then they're taking it sort of almost like game by game, waiting to see how many people they could get in the ground. I don't know whether Rovers have the technology or the wherewithal to be able to do that. But um, what about the Jack Walker upper? And the fact that that is being exclusively handed over to corporates. Josh, have you any thoughts on that? They, they sort of backtracked and changed their mind, haven't they? I think at first they said they said everyone will get the seats and then they said, oh, it's now corporate. But I think, I think Swag has somewhere told somebody that that's not the case, in fact. And I was reading on the forum that someone had rang the ticket office and they'd confirmed yeah. that that wasn't the case. So I'm not entirely sure they have done that. I haven't bought a season ticket yet, but I am going to, and it will be my first season ticket since Keen. So going going back through the times, uh, I said I said I won't get one until they got rid of Keen and apologised. They haven't. However, I do feel like now they actually need my money as as a supporter who hasn't been for a long time. Uh, spiting myself really more than anything uh, I feel like now's the time where they actually do need me and I will play my role because I'm as it stands lucky enough to not have been financially affected from Covid so uh, I, I am getting a season ticket this year however I do really think what they should have done was offered people who weren't comfortable coming back until there's some sort of long-term solution to this and said okay well if you want to retain your seat but not come to the game if you buy an iFollow pass at a tenner a game up front now and you commit to every iFollow game we'll retain your seat so you'll still have your seat to come back to when you are happy to come back. I think there's a lot of merit in that and that, that's basically what is another facet of the Rotherham scheme as I say that I'm a big advocate of. They've said this season is exceptional so the arrangements that are in place for this six, this season sort of don't impact upon your previous loyalty and your ability to retain your seat. This is just some specific arrangements. So it's almost as if the ground sharing with their own ground. And it's, it's fans can apply for tickets, but what the next full proper season, you go back to where you were and, and start and carry on, pick up from that point, which I think is has a lot of merit to it. Scott, you, you had a view on this? Yeah, it was just going back to what Josh said, because when... I went to renew my ticket at the weekend. There was the option to for me to renew in the Jack Walker upper, which is where I normally sit. I actually moved to the Riverside, so the actual price of my ticket hasn't gone up because I just figured that 
if we do get back in, it'll be so different anyway. You won't be with your same crowd, the people you sit with. So I was like 50-50 at one point. Is it worth it for all the video matches? But in the end, I did plump for it. I think my only gripe was the information came so late and like the week before the first match and I didn't actually watch the match of the weekend. I hadn't got it all sorted and set up, so... I follow pass experience. Linz, I know that I saw the, you on Twitter had said that the, the passes hadn't been sent out in time. Did you get sorted in the end? Yeah, so um, to be fair to Rovers, the club contacted me directly, re my tweet and some of my other tweets, noting my concerns, shall we say. And I had an open dialogue with them around that and around some of the other things that I feel could perhaps have been done better and fair play to them for that because you know they they took on board what what I'd said um I wasn't I didn't tag them because I used the word shithousery um I don't know if I can say that on the pod either um so I thought they won't see it and it's just me having a whinge and and it was seen and and somebody did contact me and and it was resolved eventually um but my point to the person that I spoke to at some length was we need to be getting the basics right um, you know, I'm the same as Josh. I've not been affected by COVID. I've actually, you know, my income has increased because I'm not traveling all over the country watching Rovers and spending every spare penny I've got. So in that sense, it isn't such a big deal for me, but it does matter to me that I've handed over my money for a service that I'm not getting. And in any other walk of life, people would have gripes with that and I'm not a huge fan either of the £600 premium seating because if we ever do get back in my understanding is those people will be put into the ballot first and I think that that creates a two-tier system in terms of fans and again we're not all in it together Mm. if the people that can afford the best ticket have got the best chance of getting back into a ground you don't want to create that for me we're a community. Battle to the death. That should be the next one. So first, it should be premium tickets. Then it should be a fight, one-on-one, for your chance to get to the final ballot. I could take you, Josh. I'm not going to lie. I'm backing myself in that fight. There is definitely a Hunger Games theme emerging here. (laughs) Michael, any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, the outlay would be a good 800 quid for us. And we now live in three different households. So the economics of buying a follow pass that we could all just cuddle around the telly and watch doesn't go i like your i I looked up the rotherham idea after you suggested it um earlier in the week ian i think it's got merit and i I think that they do need to think about the loyalty of the fans blackburn rovers as a club have got a history of hacking off their supporter base by getting these things wrong and it's before i was even born but the 1960 cup final ruined it for a generation of rovers fans that's why our crowds were disproportionately low through the 1960s and they've got one opportunity to get this right. And Blackburn's been really adversely affected and, and Lancashire. And Lindsay's right. We're not going to get an opportunity to go to games this season when we've got no clear sight of it. I know the club need money. I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant to dip my hand in my pocket just yet. When the announcement first came out, I think the corporate thing was the one that caught people's eye because, of course, you've got so many people, long-standing supporters who sit in Jack Walker Upper. And they were effectively being told it's it's 600 quid or nothing. And as you say, Linz, the strap line of we're in this together. And let's not forget that's coming from a chief exec who's on 300 grand a year and, and on, received a massive pay rise in the last full year's accounts. So 
we're all in this together, but some are in it more than others. But I mean, that's life. Rovers need income. There's no doubt about that. But the thing that I found really odd as well was that there were a lot of supporters over the summer were saying, why aren't you giving us the opportunity to contribute to club funds? Why aren't you allowing us to do something, even if it was like the Rotherham scheme, almost like being a gym membership, to get cash flow in? Why isn't the kit on sale? Why aren't people able to spend money um, to, to alleviate some of these concerns? And those are expressed very, very strongly on the forum. And then all of a sudden, the, the, the details are announced and it didn't really, it, I don't know, it didn't really win people over. And I think to, to the point that was made, you know, supporting a football club is, is a communal experience. Um, Rovers once again potentially shot themselves in the foot. We'll see how it unfolds. I don't think we're going to be in the ground this side of 2021, I've got to be honest. Anybody else, any thoughts on when we're likely to come back? I don't, I don't think we'll, we've got any chance really of getting in before Christmas. I'd like to remain hopeful that we can get in after Christmas. I just, I just think the, the club needs to open some kind of communication with the fans because at the minute they're, they're looking at it from the business side of things and it's a very different viewpoint than the fans. Like They don't, they don't buy tickets to come to watch football. They don't buy tickets. They don't buy shirts. They've got a very different viewpoint than we do as consumers, as fans. And I think they need to. There needs to be some kind of open communication, a working group, something that can just sort of bridge that gap. I think it's really missing, and you can tell that from a lot of the communication coming on Twitter and things like that. They just there's nothing there. There is the fans forum, um, so they meet quarterly with the club. There's about twelve, maybe fifteen fans that all represent different groups that have meeting with usually Wagger and somebody else every quarter with the club. Um, it's just nobody ever hears very little about it. Mm, and when yeah. they're consulted, when it comes to things like um, shirt sales and season tickets, um, what's the interaction been over the summer? Has there been any? To be fair, if you look on the BRSCS forum, there's one guy that posts the minutes every quarter and usually they're talking about the price of pies and the temperature of chips. Yeah, it's a, from my experience of, of customer focus groups and all the rest of it, it's nothing like what you'd expect. It's more from a, a personal thing for me with the tickets is that there's quite a big difference between the price of an 18 to 23 ticket and a normal adult ticket. And I think that's something they could do more with. Um, I benefit from it because I'm in that younger bracket um, but mine was 179, so I had no price increase on last season. My granddad, who I go with, had a £50 increase. And then, obviously, in a couple of years, all of a sudden, I'm paying £400. I think that's something that potentially needs to be looked at because I look at my parents um, and the outgoings they have, for example, are substantial than what I've got. So in terms of disposable income, there's an argument that that lower bracket, and perhaps I'm shooting myself in the foot there, but have more disposable income to perhaps contribute more, whereas those that do have houses to pay for, families to pay for, they're not going to have that. So I think that's something that needs to be looked at. £400, is that cheap? Is it expensive? Regards to my ticket, that seems unbelievably cheap. That must be frustrating to those that are paying more and perhaps are in a financial position because they've got so many outgoings. Yeah, I think the employment situation is one that's going to rear its ugly head as well. People that might not want to shell out because they're not sure about the job. 
Yeah, I was just going to say as well, there's been a couple of sneaky things like the under free under eights tickets have gone. Club cash has gone on a personal level for me. Club cash made a huge difference in terms of investing that in whatever I wanted to. That's disappeared. Um, if we're trying to hook a new generation of fans now, if you're a parent and you're paying for an under eight who won't get into the ground because we're not going to be going back in and you don't get an eye follow pass. I'm not sure I'd be paying my 80 quid out either. So I think there's some easy wins that have been taken as well and do make a difference for families on limited incomes. Yeah, I think ratcheting the Riverside price up, I mean, that's never going to come back down now. From myself to what Linz has just made, to be honest with you, I mean, I'm looking around the panel here and I'm looking for the most experienced Rovers member here. And I'm looking at you, Ian, and maybe Michael. How, I mean, Ian, how long have you had a season ticket for? I haven't had one now since um, the Owen Coyle season. That tipped me okay, over the Okay, so edge. you're a terrible example. I am. Michael, how long have <laughs> you had a season ticket for? Well, I, I, I've been on and off with it. Again, I, I dipped out in the uh, in the early Venkies years. We started in 2005-06. We had a season ticket. Historically, I'd had one in the 90s and the 70s, but... Um, this is just an extraordinary set of circumstances we're dealing it is. with now. One of the issues with Rovers, it's worth mentioning. I was talking to a colleague who supports Leeds, and their issue is they can't give all their fans the opportunity to buy season tickets because there's 40,000 of them, and that's how many the ground holds. With us, it's different. We could actually get to games if they limited it to uh, 30% of the crowd. We could pretty much find a way to disperse around Ewood Park. But the methodology for selecting people who gets to go to games when they're limited, it's like they haven't really thought that through either. Mm-hmm. So Lynn's for her loyalty of forking out now, is not guaranteed to get a ticket if they're just going to let a thousand people in. Yeah. Blackpool let a thousand people into their game at the weekend. My brother-in-law didn't get to go, despite being a season ticket holder, man and boy, um, because they just did it on a ballot basis. So there's no easy answers. There isn't the slogan on my on my centrist dad T shirt. Yeah, there, abs- there absolutely um, isn't. Yeah. I must admit, it's, it, it, I, I don't envy them the task that faces them, but I don't think they've covered themselves in glory. The loyalty is incredible. It's incredible that are not given anything for longevity of having a season ticket. I was I was hoping one of you two were going to say, "I've had a season ticket for fifteen consecutive years," so, and you don't see any benefit from that. And part of it should yeah. be, they should they should come to a point where fans go, oh, I don't really want to go to Rovers this season, but I don't want to lose my forty five percent discount. It's like you know claims bonus on your car insurance. You, you, you exactly, should be you should you know? be cherishing that and building it up. No, it was it. I had one for well, I, I my seat in the Riverside. I, I was the first season ticket holder in it, uh, and it was just uh, it was Owen Coyle. It was the the appointment of him that sort of tipped me over the edge. And giving that up was an emotional wrench. But the problem is, once you've given it up, you can then become far more discerning. And go, I mean, I made the decision I'll go to a lot more away games. So it's very difficult to win those people back. And I fear that because we, we've adopted this this system, that we we may have another problem. Anyhow, enough about season tickets. Right, welcome back to this part of the BRFCS podcast. We're just going to do a quick hit now. 
If you had the ability to bring a football manager into your real life and you could work for any football manager, who would it be? Scott? A bit of a controversial one, but Jose Mourinho. I've always loved the guy. I always turned into a misery the last few years, but for those, those early Chelsea years, the team spirit creates and he's just the kind of manager you'd want to do well for. So, yeah, I can't help. Like, Have really you been watching All or Nothing? No. You, you, if, no you love, if you love Jose, you definitely need to watch that. It's hilarious. Right. And seeing what's happening with Deli Alley playing out now, after the uh, the episodes have been put out there, it's it's definitely worth uh, definitely worth watching. We'll come back to that in a second. But uh, Josh, which football manager would you most like to be your boss? Most of this is less about which manager and more about which scenario. I would like to play on Pep, not because I'd like to learn from his genius. I'd like to fulfil his English quarter. Um, so I would be happy to sit on the bench, collect the cons, not cause a fuss. And he could just pay me 30 grand a week for that. I think that's very selfless of you. It stands in, in your credit that you're, you're willing to do that. So talking about all or nothing, if there was an all or nothing on Rovers this season, who do you think would emerge as the hero or the villain? Oh, Waggett would definitely emerge as the villain. He's He's got that... He's like the Sunderland chairman from the Sunderland series, written all over him. You know, his, his facial hair, the decisions that he's made. I think he's going to, he'd slip walk right into that one. And one of the heroes, well, I think we've got some big personalities in the team. And um, I think Daki and Liv would be absolutely made for something like that. They're doing a reality show, though, aren't they? I'm terrified yeah. about that. I've got to be honest. All over it. Absolutely terrified about the prospects of of that being on. Oh, sorry. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be absolutely terrible, and I can't wait to watch it. <laughs> yeah, I really can't wait for it. I think it's going to be like car crash TV. It's going to be brilliant. Absolutely, I think that that's probably where I stand on it. Anyway, right, uh, back onto a topic that um, we, we had a really, really interesting conversation about this over, over social media a couple of weeks back, or maybe not as long ago as that. Loan players. So are they a good use of restricted resources, or are they a complete waste of money? And to introduce this topic, what I'd like to do would be to talk about the concepts of use versus ownership and we'll relate some real-life examples to the football club and see see where we get to on this. Should Blackburn Rovers loan players, and in what circumstances? Absolutely. Every club should loan players, as long as they you are in a position where a loan player will take you to the next level, then a loan player is a superb thing and a massive difference maker. Now, when I say the next level, I mean the difference between finishing 13th and 9th. Because in the championship, that means nothing. If you're going to finish 13th, you may as well finish 8th. You may as well finish 20th. It means nothing. If it's going to take you from 13th to 6th, then you're in with the shout and then it's worth signing. Otherwise, spend the money on permanent players. So what about the risk angle of owning players that turn out to be useless and you can't get your money back? Uh, well, you invest in your recruitment, don't you? It, You'd like to be in a position where you don't buy too many useless players and you have trust that if you do bring somebody in, which to be fair, I mean, you look at some of the names that we've been linked with this this summer, look at Gardner, Gardner, whatever he was called, that signed the Watford. Sounds like we missed out on him, but he was a very good player. We almost missed out on Ayala, very good player. 
there was there was a South some I mean I get all sorts of rumors to me on Twitter. I don't know why. Someone told me about a South Korean left back from a German league. We missed out on him if we were interested in him. He was, you know, an international player. So I think all the signs point towards they are looking at the right sort of players. And if if that's the scenario that you're going down, then loaning them's a, a very good solution. As long as, like I said on Twitter, and everyone shot down for it, only if they're going to take you one level up. But you don't know that when you sign them. Yeah, but that's the gambling. You don't know anything. No, here. so you're you signing know, them on the on the in the hope, if not the expectation, that they are going to do that, and you only know whether or not it's paid off at the end of the season. Okay, then yes, sign loan players as long as the the expectation is that they will take you to the next level. Basically, don't don't sign squad play. We've signed some absolute stinking loan players who've just sat on the bench for a year. And uh, Raheem Harper, terrible. What was the other winger? The little winger that was terrible. We signed him and he sat on the bench for a year. What a waste of money. We may as well put any any youth player on and say, here's a chance to take it or don't because it doesn't matter anyway because all you're going to do is sit on the bench. I'll add to that. Torsin, waste of money. Drop the mic. <laughs> yeah, I think Tosin was the one that, that sort of got, got me thinking about it in the thread because... Uh, you, your point is is has merit if you've got the ability to see into the future about whether it's going to make the difference to move you up to the next level. I wonder where we would have finished last season had we not had Tosin. Had we not had... We only had Greg Cunningham for a few games. Sometimes you need them as an emergency stopgap as well when you've got a bit of an injury crisis. And... Um... I always think back to the greatest day of my life, 26th of December, 1977. Rovers centre forward for that day was Keith Fear on loan from Bristol City. We thought it was Jack Lewis. We didn't even know who he was. I think there can be a good stopgap. I think you mentioned the Greg Cunningham example. We'd have been saddled with a player if we'd signed him um, injured for the whole of the season. As it was, we could stick him onto Cardiff City's physio's room instead. Mm. Another example that I always pick out when people talk about loans is Craig Bellamy. And people sort of say, yeah, but he wasn't on the loan. He was signed permanently. But effectively, I always view Bellamy's one season as being the equivalent of if we had signed him on a on a 12-month loan. Uh, but because he had the break clause in his contract, then uh, he, was enable, he was able to get out. But I, one of the... Um, I don't know where people have been looking at it on Twitter. There's a fabulous re- recently new account called Footy Archives. And uh, I, I DM the guy because he's got an awful lot of Rovers early 90s, the, the dreadful season that persuaded Jack Walker to get involved. And he's been putting a load of clips on, which I've been putting on uh, BRFCS in the Nostalgia thread. But looking back, there was um, a goalkeeper called Mark Grew, who we signed from Port Vale on loan and did a fabulous job until Jack Walker came in and gave us the money to sign Bobby Mims. And he's always one of my favourite loan players. And I, I can go further back than that as well with uh, a guy that we had from Blackpool on loan called Terry Alcock, who again came in to do that job that Michael's just talked about where we were short, desperately short of a defensive midfielder and he came in. Uh, and Kevin Arnott from Sunderland is another one. These names will resonate with the teenagers. I can tell, I can tell. But um, loan players, I think they have. I think they have their place. It was an interesting conversation about people's perceptions, though, about whether they are to plug gaps 
or they are the the luxury players like Archibald, our dealers, that kind of thing. Yeah, I was, I was just going to say, like, like loan players, they're not necessarily what we want, but sometimes it's, it's what we need. We don't have a massive squad, um, and I th- sometimes we need squad players. <laughs> they might sit on the bench, but they're there to help. Um, and should anyone get injured, God forbid, then there's someone there to, to, to pick up that slack. And I think <laughs> you can see Josh shaking his head and disagreeing. You can have, with his, me. Turn. You can have um, his turn. And also, I th- <laughs> and I, th- I think you can say there's um, there's nothing different between finishing ninth and twentieth in the championship. But actually, there is because if you're in mix like we were last season, then it goes some way for the morale of the fans and the team. So it's not necessarily the same as always being or finishing twentieth. Yeah, I think I read thread um and it proper triggered me and some of my group for me there's a huge difference between finishing seventh and finishing 20th I think Tosin's an interesting point because he was allegedly on 17 and a half grand a week which is a lot of money and probably puts it as one of the highest earners but some of the joy that he brought us last season some of the clean sheets he brought us some of the away days that he brought us some of the fun that we had and the confidence coming into this season. Was he worth it? I don't know. But I certainly would much rather finish 7th than 20th. Sorry, Josh. Um, and yeah, that thread was a big topic of conversation in our group chat. And we were we were in agreement that we disagreed with Josh. So I'll take some of that point and some very good points and some great discussion points. And it's very interesting to find that Lindsay's group were all slating me privately on WhatsApp. However, you can't afford to run an academy at £5 million a season if you're then going to bring in players to sit on the bench and be squad players. You have to go... I can understand if you do the Preston route and you say, OK, we don't have an academy and we're going to fill the squad because we need players. But I, I just can't see how you can justify spending £5 million a year on an academy and not give them the chance by bringing in someone that stunts development E.g., I mean, Travis sat on, sat on the bench for a year. Well, Harper played for us. Quite incredible, really, when you look back at it now. So, there we go then, loan players. My view for what worth is it's icing on the cake signings. I like to, I'd love to see the modern-day equivalent of a Steve Archibald and Ozzy Ardiles coming, but I think those days sadly are gone financially. I think um, David Bentley was probably the last really, really good loan signing uh, with all due apologies to the Ginger Ninja, who de- whose missus decided she didn't want to live in Blackburn and we couldn't pay his wages, so he doesn't count. But David Bentley came on loan initially and was absolutely terrific, and that persuaded Mark Hughes to sign him. Um, and we made an awful lot of money out of selling him. So I'm, I'm a fan of loan players. I think they give a bit of excitement, but I do take the point that if one of the main income streams of the club is developing our own players and selling them on, then you've got to get them in the shop window. You've got to get them experienced. I'll be fascinated to see how the likes of Buckley perform this season, whether JRC can carry on holding down his place and whether Harry Chapman responds to the stimulus that is Tyrese Dolan. I don't think that's the last time we'll mention Tyrese Dolan's name on this podcast. What we're going to do now is another Name That Rover. 
and I'm going to read out some clues. I'm going to see which of our panellists names the player. I was born on the 5th of November, 1951. Nope. I was born in Preston. After I left Blackburn Rovers, I made 66 appearances for Chester City. Josh, you want to have a nibble? Dino Baggio. No, I don't think he was born in Preston. I think it's Faz. It is. It's Derek Fazakli. <laughs> 5th of November 1951 in Preston. He made 596 appearances for Blackburn Rovers, scoring 23 goals. And astonishingly, I still find it absolutely astonishing, it went on to be a coach with the England national team. He also worked for another England manager, or former England manager, Sven Goran Eriksson at Manchester City. Club legend Derek Fazakli. Our next guest on the BRFCS podcast is Joe Harvey, who recently has set up a new Twitter account called Rovers Analytics, and it aims to to get beneath some of the statistics that we see a lot more of in the modern game. And I'm delighted that he's uh, he's joined us on the line here. So, Joe, welcome to the BRFCS podcast. Tell us a little bit about Rovers Analytics. Yeah, well, firstly, thank you very much for having me along. It's great to be here. Um, Rovers Analytics really was started to kind of emulate the Blades Analytics, is probably the most famous one. 20,000 uh, followers on Twitter. Um, and I, I was conscious that I was absolutely spamming my personal social media accounts with data and analysis. And I thought it was best to kind of transfer over to a new platform. And I was blown away by the, uh, by the reaction to the setup. Um, I think we were at 400 followers within a couple of days. We're now over 700. The interaction's awesome. So that's kind of where that all came about from, really. Yeah. So is it is it as a result of Moneyball or fantasy football, do you think, that um, the analysis of football has really started to take off in the last, I don't know, probably a couple of years, I think I've noticed it. There's a lot more of the numbers around. What do you think has been the catalyst for that? Yeah, I think in the past, managers that focused a lot on data were almost laughed at a little bit, really. You think back to the days of Sam Allardyce and I always picture Bolton as being the main team for this, but sat there with the headsets on a little bit like you see with the rugby and analysing games from a different perspective. I think in the past that was looked down upon really or, or seen as a little bit out there. Uh, but these days, most clubs have technical directors and I know that Rovers themselves have invested a lot in the facilities at Brocco. They film all the training sessions with drones and I think just recently they'd posted a new job vacancy for a, a performance analyst for the youth teams as well. So it it has become a lot more prominent. And I think, like you say, I don't know if Moneyball can take um, all the responsibility, but that kind of shift in um, the everyday supporter becoming more and more aware of data uh, and that all becoming more visible to the general supporter is, yeah. is making was perhaps more aware of it than we would have been five, ten years ago. Yeah, certainly. I think um, 
cricket lends itself to that sort of money ball analysis and I've always been somewhat skeptical as to whether football can do the same but when you start to see concepts like XG being embraced by a match of the day then I think uh, it's definitely broken down the barriers so what we're hoping to do on the pod is to have you on as a regular guest through the season and and you're going to pick out some things that you've noticed and we're just going to explore them in a little bit more detail and it hopefully it will shed some light on some of the things that we're seeing on the field, as well as all the stuff off the field, of course. So let, let's let's explore a rich vein immediately. Then, um, Bradley Dack, a, a serious loss in December last year, and it created a vacuum that Rovers desperately needed to fill. They needed someone to step up and, and fill that gap. Who's done that? Do you think who who has the, been the person that's really made the most most impact? Yeah, I think undeniably Adam Armstrong is the player that has stepped up in terms of providing goal threat. Um, probably the most uh, developed and matured player over the last, what we at now, nine months uh, since Dak was out. I think Lewis Holtby more recently has definitely stepped up in a midfield role. Um, and, I, and I do believe that without Stuart Downing, that was majorly important. I think straight after Dak's injury, Downing became even more important than he already was. And and his loss at the end of the 2019-20 season left an extra portion onto that vacuum that, that, that Bradley Dak left behind. Um, we've obviously operated into a new shape, uh, which I think we're going to go over a little bit here and talk about the pros and the cons of that shape eventually. Um, but it suited Adam Armstrong, not just the formation and the tactics, but also the the main man bravado. I think a lot of the time, many Rovers players, especially deeper in the pitch, can be um, can be guilty of trying to find Dak with every pass that they can, looking for Bradley wherever he is on the pitch. And I think Adam Armstrong has only benefited from being the main man to look for. That ball over the top, that ball in short, his little runs in behind. He's getting a little bit more of the attention, maybe. Mm. And I think for a young footballer, that's really important. Um, yeah, he's obviously playing much more centrally now as well. I was just going to say that. I think well, one, of, one of the things I noticed when he first came, of course, he was played, dare I say, as a wide striker. But he had more of the natural attributes, I think, than perhaps Gallagher and Brereton had to play that position. Um, but now, very definitely through the middle. And he, and he is a scorer of different kinds of goals now, I think. What what have you noticed from the, the, from the chances that he's taken? Yeah, I think um, I don't think you could begrudge anybody who even six months ago would say he's a long-range specialist, but can he do it in the box? And I think even over this last half year, which is a short period of time in football, I think he's shown that he is versatile enough to score those goals in the box. Um, I think I heard something really great on the BBC Lancashire uh, sport last night, which was Rich Sharp said his goal against Cardiff, I think you could add up his last five or six goals and they wouldn't reach the 45 <laughs> yards that he scored from, uh, which I thought was brill. But it's a good thing to see him score tap-ins from two yards because that's the kind of thing that we've been relying on a Danny Graham or a Sam Gallagher or a Dominic Samuel or a Joe Nuttall just over the past couple of years. So it's nice to have a striker that can be versatile in that way and play off the left when necessary and score those long-range goals as well as getting themselves into the box. Absolutely. Um, and, and it definitely shines a light on the maturity side of things as well. I think um, being able to score different types of goals and having the confidence to get in those areas is a, is a huge factor for a young striker. Um, and he definitely seems a much more mature player now than he was perhaps even six, mm. 12, 18 months ago. 
Yeah, I wonder whether Newcastle will really come to rue selling him or whether, more worryingly perhaps in January, they'll come and try and get him back. So how has Tony Mowbray <laughs> revised Rovers' tactics to accommodate the absence of Dak? Uh, what formation are you seeing as used now and how, do, how has that matured and changed over the last few months? Yeah, I think uh, initially after Dak's loss, we saw lots of different ideas in our kind of hand-closed-doors section of the 2019-20 season. We saw a very simple and easy-to-follow 4-3-3 system uh, where we all kind of very quickly picked up on Lewis Holtby playing in a false nine role. Take from that what you will. A lot of people didn't like it, but it was quite easy to follow. As we've kicked on into this season, and it kind of started in this pre-season period when we played Fleetwood, Blackpool, Leicester, Doncaster, the 4-3-3 system has become something completely different. The shape is much more of a, well, oof, a 2-3, you know, it, it's baffling, really. Nyambe and Bell often find themselves being the furthest forward players on the pitch, um, which doesn't obviously lend itself particularly well attacking-wise to us, given that both of them aren't particularly great with their crossing or their shooting. So I think we obviously saw Joe Rankin-Costello against Wickham in the 5-0 win, playing that right-back role. And from an attacking point of view, he definitely suits that role quite well. He was unlucky to hit the post, obviously. I think if yeah. that goes in, I think people would be absolutely raving over it and thinking, yeah. well, how on earth did we fit both of those two in then? But unfortunately, that struck the upright. But... Um, yeah, the fullback, um, it's definitely a pro in terms of attacking movement and options on the ball. I think it's helping Ben Brereton, uh, definitely down the left, to have an attacking fullback with him. I think the um, the penalty that Amari Bell won against Doncaster, there's lots of examples of Brereton and Bell linking up on that left-hand side. And, and I don't think Brereton would have those options to make wall-pass runs off if Bell couldn't come so far forward. But what we did see defensively, the con side of that is that if we lose the ball in the middle in that transition period, we, we were a bit snookered, really. Yeah. Um, fullbacks have got a lot of ground to cover. It puts a lot of pressure on the central two centre-backs. Um, so there are pros and cons. I think against teams like Wickham, you can probably afford to go for the jugular, really, and, and, and push high and have your fullbacks wide and high and supporting your wingers. But uh, against Derby this weekend, I wouldn't be surprised if we see a reversion to the 2019-20 version of our 4-3-3. It's a little bit more conservative, much more of a reliance on your Lewis Holtby's and your Bradley Johnson's in the middle of the park um, against a potentially more attacking side and a, a more lethal side going forward. Yeah, the Derby game is going to be interesting because I think there were many pre-season, many people's pre-season favourites. They've not got off to the best of starts. They are vulnerable. Now would be a good time to beat them. It's always a good time to beat opposition, of course. But uh, I think the difference between winning and losing will, will will shape a lot of people's opinions about whether we've got off to a decent start or not. I think we've played some good stuff, but I think we do look, as you say, very very brittle. So it'll be interesting to see what Moby does to to, to set to set us up there. So I'm going I'm going to come at it from a slightly cynical old um, old git angle, I suppose. The only important statistic in football is goals scored. Everything else is garnish. How has the growing influence of data and analysis impacted upon the modern game then, do you think? How useful are some of the stats like XG in, in helping us understand and maybe exploit the opposition? It's a good question and I think you often find and we see on on the forums and online 
a lot of the discussion around data is very black and white. Um, people either love it or they hate it. It's very Marmite. It is very polarizing. Um, I think it absolutely is, yeah. There's always something to be learned from data. It's it, it's it's mainly about your reaction to that data and, and how you take it and how you use it. I think data should definitely always be looked at and analyzed. And I think it's about being able to say, okay, this is what this data says, but this is the context. And this is where it's appropriate and this is where it isn't. When we were still moving around and talking, well, when's a goalkeeper going to come before Thomas Kaminsky came on the radar? A lot of the discussion around data is is very difficult and you can understand cynicalism because you can't put a, a figure on goalkeeping. Um, you know, a goalkeeper might make a lot of saves in a game, but they might have all been straight at him. And there's a lot of different contextual pieces of evidence that point to different data points where you could quite easily jar data the way you want it to look. Um, you know, you use the pieces of data you want to use to sway an opinion. Um, so I think the important thing is that whether you think data is helpful or not, it's about how you react to that data. Because you could look at uh, data information and, and you could spend a whole afternoon looking at how rubbish Lewis Travis is going forward. He just doesn't create enough opportunities going forward. And you could somehow, if you really wanted to, by using the right data points to suit your argument, convince yourself that Corey Evans is a far better player than Lewis Travis. But really, in context, we know that that's not actually the case. We know that Travis offers something that perhaps data might not show you. Um, so it's just about that balance, really, for me. Mm. There is a saying, of course, there are lies, damn lies, and statistics. But I think you're absolutely right. The numbers provide a context, but it's very much on how you use them and how you interpret them. I think in, in many walks of life, not just in football or sport, for that matter, you know, having good MI enables you to, to understand trends and see what might be happening. But uh, one of the debates I find myself getting into continuously on, on Twitter is um, correlation versus causation. So somebody will see two stats and say, oh, this this is high and this is high, so therefore A generates B. And I, I, I've not, I wouldn't describe myself remotely as an advanced statistician, but one of the lessons I do remember is sort of saying, you know, inferring causation from correlation can be very, very dangerous. I think that's something you, you have to look out for. Uh, possession stats, I think, is one of the ones that, that gets people excited, including Tony Mowbray. You know, sides with um, high levels of possession are the ones you know, at the top of the table. Yeah, but are they at the top of the table because of the possession? Or are they at the top of the table because they're a good side and the opposition can't get the ball off them? That's the bit that I find uh, I find really interesting. So maybe we can explore that uh, as the season unfolds because we've got a, a, a very small data set, I think, uh, at the beginning of this season. Yeah. Of course, hopefully... Uh, our man Bradley will be back in weeks rather than months, and then we can see what uh, what happens there. One of the unsung heroes of this embryonic season, though, has been a man that many of us thought wouldn't be here, uh, and that's Derek Williams. Uh, how valuable is he, and how dangerous would it be to sell him in this window, given that his, his performances in the game so far? Yeah, I think it's quite easy to forget um, before Tosin Adarabayo came along that actually Derek Williams and uh, Dara Lenehan had been doing okay and people were quite impressed with them at the end of the at the season previous and their partnership has always been quite effective really. Um, there's a obviously a very debate going on in the wider context of football at the minute about left-footed centre-backs. Um, everybody's talking about how important a left-footed centre-back might be Obviously, Manchester City have paid quite a heavy left-footed tax for Nathan Ake. 
um, because there aren't many left-footed centre-backs at the top end of, of, of world football or at least Premier League football. Obviously, Scott Wharton as a young player, much like Derek Williams, is also left-footed. And then, obviously, we bring in Daniel Ayala, who is a right-footed player, who has played 90% of his career as a right centre-back in a four, sometimes as the central centre-back in a five. Um, and there's a strong argument to say that in terms of familiarity to a position, that Derek Williams and Daniel Ayala are actually going to take each other all the way this season for who can actually claim that spot. Um, a lot of posters on the forums are suggesting that perhaps Derek Williams could fill in Amari Bell's role. And I, I would agree that against a team like Derby, where we might be operating a more conservative 4-3-3, that that might work. But I think against your Wickhams, when we want our fullbacks high, yeah. I don't think Williams has the pace to get up and down as a fullback. And and he said himself he wants to play as a centre-back. He told Mowbray that's the only place he wants to be considered. And I would imagine that that's one of the main reasons why he may leave, that lack of versatility that Mowbray would potentially want. Um, you know, saying quite clearly and openly, both online and clearly at Brockhall as well, I don't want to be considered as a left-back. He is limiting his own options there, really. He is, and whilst he's under contract, I think, uh, yeah, if it, again, the cynical in me sort of says, we're paying you, son, you'll play where we pick you. But I think the manager is probably right to try and accommodate him. But mm-hmm. yeah, if it's a case of not playing or playing in a less favoured position, you would hope that the, the modern-day professional footballer would want to play, and you would hope that um, the tactics that are selected will accommodate the strengths and weaknesses of that individual. Of course, let's not underplay his goal-scoring threats either. He seems at the beginning of a season always to uh, to, to chip in with one or two useful ones. So, uh, yeah, we, we don't want to lose him too much. So, uh, an interesting start. So, listen, Joe, thank you very much for that contribution. Uh, as I said at the, at the outset, we'll, we'll hope to get you on the, on the pod regularly. So, when you see something interesting or something that you want to, to shout out about, we can, um, we can certainly amplify that. And maybe we can get some Q&A coming in and we can ask you some questions about what you've seen and how you're interpreting it but all the very best with the rovers analytics twitter account so you can follow joe on at rovers analytics on twitter if you're not already doing so and i know that you contribute on the brfcs forum as well on a regular basis so there's always some good stuff in there uh it's been lovely having you on so thanks very much once again joe awesome thank you very much thanks for having me and hopefully speak to you soon Right, we're going to get into the meat and drink of the podcast now, and it's predictions time. So I've asked my panellists for six predictions. Who will win the championship? Who will finish bottom? Which championship club will change their manager first? Who will be Rovers Player of the Year? And then the most important one, where will Rovers finish? And then also, if you want to, any wild card predictions that you think some crazy events that might happen during the course of the next season. So who is going to win the championship? I'm going to start off by coming to Josh for your prediction. Watford are going to win the championship. And why do you say Watford? I mean, we may need to blank this out, but going to win the championship due to their ownership issues and the fact that their owners own multiple clubs all around Europe. And ultimately what will happen is they'll bring in a lot of players that are too good for the club and they won't pay their wages. They'll be subsidised from the other European clubs. Ooh, FFP controversy so soon. Linz, who will win the championship? 
I had Watford as well, but for a lot less interesting reasons than that. Just because they got the best team. (laughs) Yeah. Scott, previous winner, of course, of our prediction, but you lost your crown to Cammy last season. Yeah, I'm not going to change my opinion because the other two have said Watford as well. I just think they're very strong still after coming down. So okay, I'll stick three with for that. Watford so far. Tom, nail your colours to the mast, young man. I think Bournemouth. Now that it's a bit controversial, everyone says Watford. Um, they weren't great against us. I mean, it's easy to go relegated team, isn't it? So that's basically the reason. Parachute payments, rich foreign owner. Parachute payments are in there. They. They've got money to burn, as they've shown the previous transfer windows. And I just think that I think I think they've just moved up too much. I think you saw the especially attacking wise, and if they can continue the finishing like they did against us, then they'll have no problems. Okay, three for Watford, one for Bournemouth. Holly, who's going to win the championship? Uh, Watford for me. Another one for Watford. Um, yeah, I just think probably always pick a relegated team, and especially because the uh, some of the other teams in the in around the playoffs last season, I think they've got enough um, to win it this season. Yep. And I'd say that they were probably the best team out of the the, th- the three that have come okay. down. There's a theme emerging. Michael, are you going with the wisdom of the crowds, or are you going to stake a claim for somebody else? Let's take a claim for Brentford just to be different. Um, I think maybe the momentum of them having a new stadium might bear something on their on, on the on the club as a whole. So I'm I'm going to go with Brentford. And last but not no beans least, Louis. I'm going against the crowd again. Um, I'm going for. I've just been thinking Bournemouth. I just thought, although they've uh, uh, a lot of key players were sort of taken from them in the window during the window. Uh, I still feel like, although, like I said, they weren't that good against us, you know, it's it's what championship winning teams do. If, if you can win in the play, well, you can manage to score with three shots on target. It's, it's either very Rovers or very championship winning material. Not not quite the efficiency that Luton Town displayed at the end of last season, of course, where they scored three goals with one shot on target. And any side that can <laughs> sustain that over 46 games definitely will go up. Uh, for what worth, I'm going with Brentford. Uh, similar rationale to Michael. I think um, the the new stadium obviously would have been better with fans in it, but I still think it must be um, it must be uplifting. The experience of losing at Wembley, I think, can make players want to come back, and they've got money to spend because of the the player sales. So as long as they invest that wisely, but I think it could be interesting at the top of the championship. Right, that's the glory. Who's going to finish bottom? And did we see them play at Ewood Park last Saturday? Or will Sheffield Wednesday's 12-point deduction count? Josh, who's going to finish bottom? I don't think it'll be Wickham. I think Sheffield Wednesday are in trouble being on minus eight from the start. But I must say, I've watched Barnsley when Barnsley played against Reading. And they were terrible. Really, really bad. So I'll go for Barnsley. Okay. Linz? Yep, they're my pick too. Oh. I thought they were they were lucky last season to stay up. I don't think they've got much momentum coming into the season. So yeah, they're Michael. Scott? I feel like I'm copying it again, but I had Barnsley in my mind and I'm not going to change that <laughs> just because they said it as well. Wisdom of the crowds is prevailing here. Tom, who's your pick? Um, I think I'll Wickham. I think perhaps a Ellen's bias about not picking Wickham because of a certain Gareth Ainsworth. I just don't think they looked up, did they? I know we played well and, and had a good start to the season, but they look a yard off it. They look like their depth, in my opinion. I think they're going to really, really struggle. I mean, a lot of contrast went up, isn't there? Because obviously it was the points per game they voted against finishing the season. They were outside playoffs when went up. So you can argue everyone deserves where they are, but it's 
potentially a bit of a fluke. I, I, they're my pick for what worth. But yeah, they, they got into the playoffs by, so we show us a fortunate device of points per game, which gives them less less time to sort their squad out when you go up in the playoffs. And yeah, I think they're, they're going to be stretched thinly, but we shall see. Holly, who's going down? I am in agreement with Tom. I think it's going to be Wickham. Um, I, just, I just don't think they're good enough. Gareth Ainsworth on line one would like to be patched into you there, but we shall see. <laughs> Michael, who's going to finish bottom? I can't see past Sheffield Wednesday if that, that 12-point deduction is a big mountain to climb for them. And I know Wickham are pants, so I can see the two of them being pretty much scrapping down the bottom. I push back against people's predictions about Barnsley. I think they've got more about them than giving them credit for. Got a decent manager, though. Well, they, they scrapped the way out of it at the end. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, Chef Wednesday. OK. And last, Louis? It's a, it's a mixture of the two. I've, uh, I've got... I think Wickham will finish bottom. I thought, like, like, like it's been said already, they were... They just weren't good enough. They just, like I say, controversial how they got into the league. And they just, they looked quite sort of a step below. But yeah, like with Sheffield Wednesday, you know, teams who start on minus points, you know, it's, they're never, they're it's never winning the league, are they? Unless, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's regardless of how good the team is, it's, you, you, you've got to, you have got to be twice as good as everybody else now. You've got to make up that points difference and then some. You know, it's, I just think, I just think it'll be those two in 24th, 23rd. I think it's just too much. Super. Thank you for that. Okay. Which championship club will change their manager first? Josh? Derby. Derby County. I'm very, very confident that Philip Koku... I mean, the championship is such a hard league to be involved in. And to bring in a Dutch player that's very recently finished playing at a very high standard and has got limited managerial experience at a club who are so financially invested in the top six, it's asking for trouble. And of course, they're due a heavy home defeat on Saturday, so we'll see if that does for them there. Linz? Huddersfield. Huddersfield. I've gone for Huddersfield as well for the second year running, for the same reasons as last year. I think they're they're in trouble. I've got to be honest on that one. Scott? I think the hangover from last season's disaster has already started and Nottingham Forest, Sabri Lamucci is going to go. That was Bill Arthur's pick last year. Uh, and of course, they marched triumphantly to the cusp of the playoffs until <laughs> that fateful final game. Um, but yeah, he's, he's looking as though he's going to come in this, this season, if not last season. Tom? Um, I'm going to go with Scott's pick as well, Forrest and Lamucci. Obviously, last season will be fresh in the mind because that really was a disaster. And obviously two losses to start this season. It's not looking good, is it? Linz, what's the mood in Nottingham? Oh, I can't wait to watch it crash and burn. They were so smug up until the last game of the season. Oh, their tears were just beautiful. Delicious, delicious Um, salty tears. Oh, so, so enjoyable. (laughs) Uh, I think there'll be a change and they, they were on. My radar, and I think my forest support frenzy is a massive missed opportunity yeah. and a big task to pick themselves back up. And long may that continue <laughs> for me, Ian. Uh, Holly, who's going to change their manager first? I've got Forest as well. I think it's just a bit of a train wreck that club, <laughs> <laughs> and it's just nice that it's not. Ours, I was going to say for, for Rovers fans to be pointing the finger at other clubs is a bit rich, but yeah. yeah, I suppose the last couple of years we have actually been fairly stable on balance. Michael, which club's going to change manager? I can't see Daniel Falk lasting long at Norwich. Um, I think he'll be gone by midpoint of the season. Last season was such a disaster for them, really. I don't think they'll pick up 
where they think they should do. So yeah, I can see him going. They beat Man City, then seem to down tools. It's almost like we've beaten the best team in the league, so we don't need to worry about it too much. Louis? Mine, rather rather controversially, ties into my wild card as well. I think it'll be Thomas Frank at Brentford. I think that this is just... I think they're just going to... It was one of them where you've you've come so close, you've come, you know, with a, a, a David Ray mistake essentially the Premier League, and I think it's just going to be so close. Champions Champions League final, start the season horrendously. Yeah. You know, players lose lose interest. I just think I just don't think Brentford are going to reach the highs of the playoffs. I think they're just going to have a really poor season. I think Thomas Frank will be Ooh, that's an interesting one. the first to go, and I think they've. I just think it's 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 going to be him, and it's not it's not going to be there yet. So year. Brentford are either going to win the league according to the wisdom of the panel, or they're going to crash and burn so horrifically that their manager will be out of work before anybody else is. We'll have to watch this space. Okay, question four in our predictions is who's going to be Rovers Player of the Year? So I'm going to um, shake up the order a little bit. So Scott. Who do you think will win that accolade at the end of this season? The attackers are getting a lot of credit at the minute, but I think our defence is going to improve. And I'm going to say Daryl Lehan for the second year run. I wonder whether you were going to go for Daniel Ayala there and uh, really sort of predict great things for our new signing. So Daryl Lehan, Louis, who's going to be your vote for Player of the Year, do you think, at the end of the season? As as a absolutely huge fan of Lewis Travis, always has been before anybody else was, I would have I would have said Lewis Travis uh, until this 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 injury. Obviously, we'll have to see how bad it is. Uh, but again, I, I'm an absolutely huge fan of Frankie Costello. I think this this is this is this is his year. Essentially, this is you know, his breakout season. It's either him or obviously the the, the Lancashire Messi, Terry Stolen. If he can continue his vein of form, which I'm sure we hope, I'll hope he does. But uh, Frankie Costello, I think on. Just how nice is it, though, to have a player that gets you so excited when he picks the ball up? I, I don't think I've seen something like that since the days of Damien Duff. Got to be honest, with just that that buzz and that feel. I hope he does carry on, certainly. I'm sure Preston will be watching with great interest. Josh, who's your prediction for Rovers Player of the Year? It's quite easy to say Adam Armstrong, so I'm going to say Sam Gallagher. Ooh. I just think... We are now creating things that um, last season, you know, the the creation at the at the, at the high end of the field was very little, had very little service. I think this year we are going to be quite an attacking team, and I think he's going to be have a lot more opportunities to come good. I hope he does. Certainly, when I watched him at what Preston away last season, I thought this is it. He was a beast, and I expected him to rattle in 15 or 16 goals. It didn't quite happen for him. Tom, who's your prediction for Player of the Year? I think it's got to be, got to be one of the attackers, because from early on this season, it was really exciting, as people have alluded to at the top end of the pitch. As Josh, It's easy to go out of my arm drunk. But I'm really um, Dolan really alluded to, just because, like you said, Ian, it's the excitement. I know... On a lesser level, Harry Chapman would have brought that in league when he just came up on the pitch and took everyone and played with so much confidence. Dolan's that times 10. Um, and if he c- can continue his started, then we'll play with our hand and what an asset he could be in our push for promotion. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, one of my Sheffield Twitter buddies, Matt Moon, has already sort of been uh, messaging me, sort of saying, do you think we're in danger of losing him in January? My thoughts on that are it's way, way, way too soon for a club to be prepared 
to pay the amount of money that Rovers will probably want now, having seen what we've seen just a just a, a handful of, well, not even a handful of games. But he's only on a two-year deal, of course, so it'll be interesting to see if they try to extend his deal. Linz, Player of the Year, who's your prediction? Ryan Nambi. Mm. Do you think he's going to be here all season? Yes, but I think this could be his last season. Do you think he'll sign? Who knows, Ian? You know, I think he's got the right to feel very valued in our side. And whilst I understand Mowbray coming out and saying he rested him on Saturday for to look after his hamstrings, if I'm Nambi and I've played the way I've played in the first two games and I'm on the bench on Saturday does that influence me if I want to continue or mm. not but he'd be one of the first names on the team sheet for me week in week out and if he keeps that level of performance up he's my player of, of the he's year. He's a crown jewel for sure. Holly, player of the year, your prediction please. Everyone keeps saying it's too easy to go for Adam Armstrong and that's exactly why I'm going for Adam Armstrong. You and me both. Um, I think yes. he's already, yeah I just think he has already shown in the last few games and um, the cup game that he is amazing. <laughs> he is where our goals come from, um, and someone that we can guarantee will get goals. Um, I can't see him lasting that long with us. I think the Premier League are probably going to come sniffing mm. relatively soon. Um, so yeah, I think he'll be um, definitely one of the standout players. But I will would like to just give a little shout out to JRC because he's um, quickly becoming. One of my favourite players. He's blossoming nicely, it has to be said. Michael, your prediction? I'm the optimist. I think we've still yet to see the very best of Bradley Dack. Let's not forget, he is one of the most talented footballers in the division. Um, if not, clearly the Rovers squad. So let's hope that he's going to bounce back even stronger and really take this by storm and show us, you know, that enough all these great players that you've all talked about who I completely agree with, I'm optimistic and... Happy about, but yeah, Ducky. Splendid. Splendid. Right, so this is the this is the crooks now. Where are we going to finish? So last season, Cammy nailed it. He predicted 11th. I predicted 12th. Took a load of opprobrium on the pod when we when I predicted 12th, so being a, a negative Nelly. So, Scott, where are Rovers going to finish this season? I think it's going to be a good playoff push, but I think we'll fall short in 8th. 8th. Louis? Scott has stolen my prediction there. So are you going to go 7th uh, or 9th? <laughs> I'll, do, I'll 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 go ninth, but I don't think we'll fall. I don't think it'll be like a last day sort of. Well, we've just dropped out. I think our hopes will have been crushed long before like right. the last day. But I do think I do think we've done well enough uh, earlier in the season. But ninth, Sing, single digit is always next year. Okay, Josh. Yeah, four, and I'm not saying that to shock value. I think we're in the best position we've been in since going down to go back up. I'm fascinated. That we've brought in Kaminsky, Ayala, who hasn't played yet, and Dolan. What what have you seen that makes you feel so confident? Uh, I think the squad's the most rounded it's been, and I think that plays a part. I think um, 
I actually, for the Amazon question, you never asked me, but I think Elliot Bennett's going to play a huge role in getting this club promoted without actually getting on the pitch. I think that's quite something. I saw him, uh, I saw him speaking to Dolan before he, he made, came on for his debut. Uh, just, uh, it, you know, he was wearing a tracksuit. He wasn't even warming on the side of the pitch. I think the, the leaders that we have in the team are going to bring the youth up to a standard where we can contend for promotion. That'd be fantastic if that happens. I think, is Elliot Bennett the club captain? Or am I imagining that? He is the club captain. And he, he certainly takes that responsibility seriously. I mean, for, for, all, for all the criticism he rightly or wrongly gets, he never gives anything less than 100%. And I think as an ambassador, he's exemplary. I, I'm not sure you can name a better club captain in recent times than... I think you have to go back to almost Sherwood um, for, for the stuff that he does. I saw Mikey Dillard put on um, a, a thread of somebody selling th- uh, somebody celebrating 13 yes. years so yes. I was told, I don't know how true this is, but I was told that was basically Bennett that organised all of that and, and started it with our players and passed it around. And, that doesn't surprise and me, I have to say. He, he does seem an all-round top but, guy. And I think that's that's key on what you know, even if even if that's not true, and it was you know some media manager at the club, the fact that nobody goes, you can believe that it. Doesn't sound it? like the sort of thing. Really yeah. behind. I, I really think, you know, I think he could end up with less than ten appearances, certainly less than ten starts, but actually play a massive role in in dragging us forward. Very good. Fourth, right, Tom. Where do you stand? Glass half full or half empty? You know me, and I'm generally a positive Absolutely. person. I'm going to completely copy Josh. Um, I'm going to go fourth as well. I just don't know what it is. I don't think there's ever been two games where Rose have lost and there's been such a sense of positivity around around the, the Rovers camp. I'm going to plug my own column here. I hope you don't mind. But I, I mentioned in this week's one that it's been a fantastic start to the season and we've lost two games. I don't know what it is, but I've just got this this feeling of confidence. Last season, I was confident, but I thought we're going to fall short, as we did. This season, there's just something that tells me that whether we get promoted, I don't know, but I just strongly back us to get in the playoffs. The euphoria of a home win over Wickham. It genuinely could be. just you know, That 5-0, you know, and it does endorphins around the body, still there now. Um, Your youthful exuberance but, stands you in good stead. Don't, don't ever it, lose that. Yeah, uh, but yeah, it's, I just feel really, really confident, and I'm not 100% sure why, so don't question me. <laughs> um, but, um, Cross-examination, yeah. no. To continue fighting the corner for fourth, I think the point Michael made about Bradley Dack potentially being player of the season. Why he's like a new sound? Well, I mean, you know, we're going to get told that, and it's probably going to frustrate a lot of people. But realistically, to have potential, I mean, we we tail afterwards the end of the season. We always do. That's how it works. Every January, we're sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, and everyone's talking about if we sign the right players, we'll make the difference. Yeah. To have that come back early January with a point to prove, I think is is so invaluable. It's almost a gift in a really perverse, backwards way. Well, we shall see. Linz, where are we going to finish? Sixth. Another one for the playoffs. Holly? I am going to be the Debbie Downer, um, and I am going to say 15th. I was just going to say I'm, I'm worried about the squad depth that we have. A couple of injuries that can really affect how we perform. And I'd rather be 
surprised and we outperform my expectations. Under promise and over deliver. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. right. Absolutely right. Michael. Well, my heart says six, my head says 12, so I'll split the difference and go for ninth. For ninth. Well, for what worth, I've plumped for 13th for the same reason that, that Holly said. I think we're a bit, we are two injuries away from serious crises. Um, and a lot can happen between now and the window closing. So we've got not quite, what, another three weeks or so before the, the window closes totally. So it does depend on what's brought in. We absolutely must get another keeper. Because I think we saw enough about Fisher to know that he's not ready in the pre-season games. I think he needs more time out on loan. Although Eastham seems to be getting rave notices. He might be might be the better of the two in terms of, of backup keepers. Amari Bell, I think we need somebody to be challenging him at the very, very least that isn't right-footed. Uh, and I'd like to see, I would like to see another, I would like to see another striker because I'm not convinced that Ben or Sam are going to deliver all the goals. So I think there's a big burden on Armstrong and the returning deck and an injury to Armstrong, I think, could be really, really serious. So I am by nature cautious. So I'm going for 13th, but I will be delighted, absolutely delighted to be proved wrong, particularly if it's 6th or 4th that we end up with. So we shall see. Wild cards. Anything wacky, zany or weird that you think might happen? And I've had a couple that were sent to me on Twitter, on the BRFCS Twitter, so it would be remiss of me not to mention those. So I shall do that now before I forget. So we had James Wilcock, who predicted that in January, Dak leaves Rovers because he can't get a place back in the side, which I think is what Bradley Dak actually himself tweeted or he put on Instagram. So he was worried about how he was going to get back into the team after Saturday. BRFCS, sorry, BRFC for life. That's David Crossley on Twitter. He's predicting another goal for Ben Brereton to keep up his one goal per season. I think uh, it was slightly tongue-in-cheek, but who knows. Uh, Mudboy27 on Twitter said that Charlie Mulgrew will waive the remainder of his contract and pay us to leave. And the real... uh, I've got to be careful how I pronounce this. The real (laughs) ass alone... Williams keeps Ayala out of the team and ends the season with eight league goals and he's a candidate for player of the year. So I'd be interested to see any or all of those coming to fruition. Uh, Scott, have you got a wild card prediction? Yeah, incredibly, Tony Mowbray will be will have been the Rovers manager for four seasons in the middle of this year. So my wild card is that he will still be manager at the end of the season, even if we do drop down into the bottom half. Mowbray to see out contract shocker, says editor at 4,000 holes. Louis, wild card from yourself? Uh, well, like I said, during the, the, the previous segment, I just think Brentford, I just think Brentford implode. I just, I just, I've just got a, a hunch uh, and I'm just, dis- I think it's just more disappointment that uh, that it wasn't Leeds. <laughs> one of my best mates is the Leeds fans. And I'm just disappointed it wasn't Leeds. Well, we, we shall see. You know, I, 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 I I truly think, yeah, I think Brentford are just... Well, they're definitely one to watch based on this pod then because they're either going to finish top or they're going to blow up horrifically. So we shall see. I think um, Blackburn Rovers in finally send out shirts, shocker, (laughs) and at some point before the end of the season, people who have bought a kit may actually receive it. Well, there you go. That's the uh, social media influencer, Linz Lewis there, folks. 
our very own insider, the only the only person in the pod that Rovers communicate with. Tom, have you got a wild card? Uh, yeah, my wild card is um, that fans will be allowed back in the uh, stadium um, this season. Perhaps more of a, a hope than um, an expectation. When do you when do when do you think that might happen? Until very recently, I was thinking before Christmas, but obviously things change. Lancashire is a um, hot spot. Yeah, it's, it's it, it definitely is. I'm hoping after the I think around January February. Obviously, it's never changing scenario, isn't yeah. it? And, and no one can really predict what's going to happen. It would be nice to think so. Having seen fans at Blackpool last week, it certainly makes a difference. Josh, your wildcard prediction? Very similar to Tom. Based on my prediction of finishing fourth, a minimum of 10,000 Rovers fans will watch Blackburn Rovers get promoted at Wembley. Holly, your wildcard, please? I don't have one. (laughs) Michael, your wildcard, please? Uh, I think that maybe we'll lose a couple of games on the trot at some point in the season, but we'll have done so well that Rovers' Twitter doesn't go into a complete <laughs> meltdown and demand that Tony Mowbray be sacked. That's never happening. <laughs> that's, that's the wildest of wildcard predictions. Right, I'm going to go out on the limb here and say that one of Bradley Dack or Ryan Nyambi will not be at the club on the 1st of February next year. Hopefully not both. Hopefully not either. But we shall see. whether If Rovers can't persuade Ryan to sign a new contract, whether they might try and cash in. We shall see. Here are the predictions from Stuart, Bill and Lucy. So, prediction time. Prediction time. Uh, who's going to win the championship? I think it will probably be Marich. Uh, I think Bournemouth have sold too many of the key players. They've not set up during the close season like a team that's really going to try and push for promotion back again. Who'll finish bottom? Uh, unfortunately, I think it'll be Wickham. Yeah, much as much as I like Gareth Ainsworth, and I think his team's going to come bottom. I don't think Wednesday will finish bottom. I don't think Wednesday will finish in the bottom three, to be honest. Which championship club will change manager first? Um, I haven't got a clue. Yeah, you know, let's go with Wednesday. Who will be Rovers Player of the Year? It will be Armstrong, Dak, or yeah, I'm going to go with Armstrong. Where will Rovers finish? So I said to Matt last year that if Rovers didn't finish in the top four, we'd finish in the automatic promotion spaces this year. And I'm going to stick with that. I think the players, we haven't really lost any strength in the squad over the summer. We've lost depth. So I think it's a case of how injury free we can stay. And obviously with Dak being out and now Travis being out, that's not started so well. But I think think we'll finish second. Wildcard prediction, wild, proper wildcard suggestion, fans will be allowed back in a ground somewhere at some stage. Uh, first one who will win the championship, I think it will be either Norwich or Bournemouth. Uh, I think Norwich are one of those clubs that are yo-yoing between the championship and the premiership and I think they will go back up again this year. My second choice would be Bournemouth. Uh, number two, who will finish bottom? 
I think it will be Huddersfield. I think they're one of those teams that's been on the slide since they left the Premiership and I don't see them doing very much this year, so my money would be on Huddersfield. Number three, which championship club will uh, sack their manager first? Well, last year I said Knott's Forest would sack Lamucci and I was completely wrong, but I'm gonna go with the same uh, prediction for this year, Lamucci from Nottingham Forest. Rovers player of the year, uh, I'm not going to plump for the obvious, which I think would be Dak or Armstrong. I'm predicting that Lewis Travis will be the player of the year. My prediction for where Rovers will finish is going to be the same as I said last year. Uh, eight. I think we will flirt with the playoffs again, but we'll not do uh, quite enough to get into the playoffs. And I think we will finish eighth. And the wildcard prediction, Perhaps not that wild card, but I think in January uh, we are going to sell either Dak and or Armstrong. I think the financial situation is such that we will need to raise funds and those are our prize assets and much to the dismay of the fans, I think one or both of them will be sold. Who will win the championship? So I'm going to go with Watford as they have access to a large squad and if they can keep Premier League assets such as the likes of Troy Deeney then they look like a strong side and a very wide open championship this year. Who will finish bottom? So my bets are on Barnsley. Um, they battled to avoid relegation last season and I think this season will be a battle too far for them. However, I also am worried about Wickham, especially watching their performance after our 5-0 victory over the weekend. Which championship club will be the first to change their manager? Derby County for me. Uh, didn't make the playoffs last season and a disappointing start so far, so likely to cause a frustration for the fans, the manager and the club. Who will be Rovers Player of the Year? Our very own Angel of the North, Adam Armstrong. No further explanation needed. Where will Rovers finish? I'm going for 10th, a concerning finish to last season, but a great start with some uh, amazing young players growing in confidence. Wildcard predictions for the season. I think Luton to avoid relegation stay up for another season in the Championship. And one to watch would be Swansea for a top four finish. Right, it just remains for me to say thank you very much to our panellists for contributing tonight. So, Scott, thank you so much. Louis, Josh, Tom, Linz, Holly and Michael, your contributions as always are really, really warmly and gratefully received. Uh, we'll be back, I'm sure, in a few weeks' time and we'll uh, be able to reflect on the implosion of Brentford or their triumphant march to the top of the table and guaranteed promotion one way or the other. We'll call it from there. Thanks so much for listening. Hope you've enjoyed it and we'll speak very soon. So a quick hit then, Alan Hansen's autobiography was famously called Tall, Dark and Handsome, 
and that sent me thinking about what would be suggestions for appropriate autobiography titles of Rovers players, be they past or present. So one that I came up with, for instance, was Mad, Brad and Dangerous to Know, which of course would be Brad Friedel's autobiography. Michael, I think you've been thinking about some as well. Yeah, mine would be for Dackie as well, and it would have to be Dak to the Future. <laughs> Very good. Um... Ooh, and uh, but 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 also we've got you know the, the much maligned left back for whom the bell tolls. <laughs> Talking of much maligned left footers, um, you've got one I believe for a former player now, Josh. Yep, um, based on it, it's it's a love novel by you writing autobiography. It's actually a non-fiction love story of how one man, this no matter which club he plays at or internationally can always be considered very good. It's Stuart Downing, and it's called Keep On Loving Stuart. <laughs> There's an accompanying song by Oreo Speedwagon that can go with that. I had a couple of others as well, which is when Ryan Nelson takes over Tom's column when Tom moves on to work in one of the national dailies. Uh, a collection of his columns at the end of the season will, of course, be Nelson's columns. And then Charlie Mulgrew can publish Charlie's My Darling, Although I don't know whether many people in Blackburn will buy that after his recent social media posts. And Yakubu's really has to be all that yak. It simply does. So there we go. Rover's punned autobiography titles. Is that right for Yakubu, or would Baby Got's Yak be better for Yakubu with his very large large behind? Oh, <laughs> I like that. Yeah. So I think Der- uh, Derek Williams has to be off Derek. Of course. <laughs> Obviously, I can't, I can't see his literary um, agent uh, going with that, though, somewhere. They can change it to F, I'm sure. <laughs> um, and Bradley Johnson, the long shot. <laughs> you could do with popping one in on Saturday, that's for sure. Right, thanks very much, everybody. Really appreciate that. Sorry it's taken longer than I imagined, but uh, we've covered a lot of ground there, so hopefully I'll edit that down this week and try and get it out for the weekend. Um, thank you very much once again. I've sat through enough Zoom meetings at this point in my life now to know straight away that you and Holly were texting each other all the way through that. Absolutely. (laughs) We text each other 200 times a day. Hi, I'm Matt Janssen, and you're listening to the BRFCS podcast.